So, I mean, you, you just touched on it there, you know, obviously everyone's happy that you stayed. Um, what was the situation then before, obviously, before you were looking to leave, really? How, what, what was the overall sort of, yeah, situation? Yeah, sure. So I think like I put in my post, it's been stuck in specification hell on a bunch of projects that we've had. Um, so, you know, kind of long story short, we had a previous CEO uh, and he was largely focused on his exit strategy. So it was all about kind of keeping the books balanced and keeping it nice and safe. Um, and then we got a new CEO and he came in and he's more open to investment and growth and that kind of stuff. So we, we did see that transition. But I think, you know, because of COVID and stuff, we had a year where still nothing really moved. So we had the right kind of attitude, but nothing was really pushing on. And so we got stuck in a bit of not really making decisions. And it, it kind of felt like my hand was getting a bit forced on that. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, there wasn't like a lot of people leave their companies because they're angry or, or, or whatever. But that kind of wasn't the case. I was just a bit bored. Like I'm, I'm quite good at what I do. So to kind of be sat here just talking about doing stuff and not actually doing stuff is yeah. I guess a bit frustrating quite a lot. So, so that was ultimately the cause. And, and it was interesting that when I handed my notice in, um, everybody was quite surprised, uh, you know, because they didn't really get the usual signs you'd expect from a disgruntled employee, you yeah. know, where they might they might be complaining a lot for months before finally quitting. So it really came as like kind of out of the middle of nowhere, really, that I, I wanted to leave, um, yeah. which I thought I, I was surprised, but I thought I'd complain plenty, but <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so it just kind of got to that point where I was, I was feeling a bit stuck. I had a look around, some agents are reaching out, and I had some chats, got a new job, and, and then just, just handed my notice in. Um, but then through that, that, that actually opened up a big change. Uh, and I think this is this contributed to taking a counter offer because uh, I got obviously my MD came in, the CEO came up um, to, to, to visit. And we had a really good set of chats. Like it wasn't just one call. It was it was yeah. several just kind of nurturing calls to really go through uh, what the issues were and then also the way forward. Uh, and that to me was really important because it really felt like I was being listened to. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's really interesting now because I, I think having that, that nurturing sort of process there it, would you say that's really helped you sort of come around? Because in, I mean, I've been in situations, I'm, I'm sure other people have been like, out there, have been in situations where they say that they're leaving, the company goes, all right, okay, I'll consider what's going on. And then they come back to them in a day or two, here's more money, here's everything you've asked for, but then not follow through with it. So do you think having yeah. those touch points so regularly with the MD has sort of solidified that thought of, no, I am going to stay? Yeah, 100%. Um, and it wasn't just from those guys as well. You know, the wider team here really surprised me. By, by There were people who, who reached out who I didn't think really cared whether I was here or not, because, like, you know, you work in IT, you're quite siloed, uh, as much as I try not to be. Uh, it's still the case. But people did reach out and, and said how sad they were that I was going to leave and, and how pivotal I am here um, yeah. to blow my own trumpet or anything. But, like, you know, when you're, when you're the only IT guy in an organisation, it's very easy to... So you just end up doing everything. So, so you do yeah. you do get in touch with a lot of people. So it was that as well. It's just the wider community of work. You know, I think we have a good culture here, and that definitely helped. And I know from my own experience as a consultant and working in user, yeah. culture is sorely missing in a lot of a lot of in, uh, a lot of businesses. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, so I mean, you touched on there as you're the sole IT guy in the company. Have you not got a team with you at all? No, and that, that was that was one of the frustrations. So um, we did have some people around, um, but you know they left just before I left, yeah. um, because again they got frustrated with not being able to progress, um, and and they were kind of not really, not really the right resources. One was a project manager, one was uh, just support, but 
just not doing what we wanted to do. And I know I need somebody really techy. So part of a negotiation and a commitment wasn't just that financial counteroffer. Uh, it was, you know, let's build a team. Let's really make IT a proper department here in this business. You know, we're a PLC. We've got nine brands now. Um, we really need to have an IT function that can handle that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big part of it. And and like I said in my post yesterday, um, they've lived up to that commitment. I've been able to recruit, reach out, use agents, that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, it's, it's, so far it's working. It's hard because recruitment's hard right now. So it's taking a bit longer to bring resources in. But I've had that commitment to, to actually recruit. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, sure, we'll get a team eventually. It's like, no, get on it right now and get your team in. Yeah, okay. So I, I want to dig down into the timeline then because you had old MD, then you had yeah. new MD. Yeah. When did you hand in your notice? In between those points, or was it after the new MD came in? Yeah, so, uh, so it was a CEO, and uh, so he left. Um, so... At the start of 2020, he announced uh, he was retiring at the end of 2020. Uh, and then we brought in a new CEO to do a handover. And then obviously COVID hit and we decided we couldn't afford two CEOs. So he retired early. Uh, and then the new CEO just, just kind of came in and, and, and just picked it up there. So that was obviously March, April last year, uh, 2020. Um, uh, and then I handed my notice in the summer. So it's, what, 15 months after he'd been here. Where, where do you stand then with, with the pre-conversation before you go on the job market? Because... I, I think it's probably one of the most important parts of, you know, like your job search. I know it sounds ridiculous, like going to your employer before you start looking. But like, I mean, with my company, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to admit it. Like uh, sort of April last year, I was in a sort of similar situation. Like, am I growing? Am I doing what I need to do? So I had a conversation with my current employer and, and things progressed and it, it worked out quite well. And I've been happy ever since sort of thing. But yeah, like just having that pre-conversation, do you think that would stop a lot of people getting out into the market or do you think it will almost push people with higher intent into the market? Uh, it's difficult because it really does depend on the culture. And so we've always had an open culture here, specifically at UMove, uh, rather than the wider PLC. And so I actually have weekly one-to-ones with my MD, so I get to vent a lot of my frustrations pretty regularly. Um, but because we are part of the PLC, it's it's difficult for my MD to then escalate that further. So without that direct contact and having that seat at the table, it, it's quite difficult. Now, I am in a fortunate position that I do actually have that now. I know a lot of people don't have that immediate direct connection with the C-level. You know, they, they just don't. But certainly at this level that I'm working, it's necessary, I think, uh, to have that. So I know I'm quite lucky to, to get that now. Um, but, it, you know, it's very easy to just spend a lot of time talking about this stuff. It, it's very difficult to actually make change. You've got to have every, everybody on board. And a lot of the time it can come down to perspective. And, and you know, uh, like I said, I was quite surprised that everybody was surprised I handed my notice in because I felt like I'd been complaining an awful lot and, and, and asking for this change and then nothing happening. Um, so, you know, for me to take that on board, that's for me to learn better communication skills, perhaps, um, for, for, for making my point a little bit more effectively than perhaps I had done previously. Um, but certainly in terms of that journey, if a culture is there, if a culture is open and, and you can have those discussions, I, I definitely recommend having those discussions uh, as early as possible, you know, and, and, and being constructive, not just complaining, but being constructive and, and really pushing forward the, the ways that you think it can change and, and, and how you think that's going to work across the org as a whole, not just for you in your role. Yeah. Um, that's obviously going to be a lot more difficult if you don't have that own culture, if you don't feel you can talk to your manager, if there's already a bad relationship. Um, but again, you know, I'd say if you're in that situation, get out anyways, because I've worked in really horrible, toxic cultures and, and working in a nice culture is a massive change and you really feel a lot more productive. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that's really interesting because I mean, like I was saying, it, I, I think 
it's probably it's really difficult to obviously from our end you know qualify the blaggers I hate using that word but you know like you speak to a candidate or somebody you know somebody who's on the job market and you, and you say okay why are you looking to leave oh i feel like i'm undervalued oh, the culture's not quite right all those sorts of things and then you get them through to the final stage get them the offer and then obviously they go and hand in the notice and then they get a 10 grand pay rise get all the promises and then they'll end up staying so I think having those, do you, like those conversations, I think you'll probably push more high intent, you know, so that people actually are on the job market, are committed to it. But I guess it's having that culture because, or culture in place in order to do so. That, for me, I mean, my inner cynic is going to instantly think, someone's approaching me having these conversations, they're going to be leaving soon. And then it's, that's what's going to be playing on, mind, on my mind. So do you think that would happen in your your position you know obviously if you then have that yeah if I, i'm not i'm not really sure because if i flip it around the other way and, and myself as the hiring manager and, and having my staff uh, i always like to feel that the, the environment i create is a good and positive one so if people start having those conversations you know i'm, I'm willing to take that on board and, and really look yeah. at that and, and see what we can do and i'd be disappointed that it got to a point where somebody wanted to leave and we hadn't had those conversations previously, but I also know a lot of people just get offended and and and, and take it the wrong way. So you know, it, it kind of varies on person, uh, I guess. Um, but for me, you know, my entire ethos is about building this team, building this non-siloed environment. So it has to be that open two-way communication right from the start, and that's something I try to encourage with every every hire I take on. It doesn't always work, of course. Some people just, I don't know, some people just don't feel confident enough to have those no matter how close your relationship is uh, on the day-to-day they still don't feel like they can just come and tell you oh by the way i'm, I'm done i'm out I'm, I'm, I'm looking elsewhere yeah do you do you think that's because of potentially the stigma and not the stigma it's probably the wrong word the, the treatment which happens after people tend to hand it hand it in a notice because essentially you're having in order to do it beforehand you're having the the i've handed in my notice conversation before you've handed in your notice so do you think that, I'm just trying to word this in, in the right way, do you think that if, because of the way people, when they've handed in their notice before, and obviously they might have got pushed to one side, they've taken on projects, all those sorts of things, do you think that might be the psychological barriers to why these conversations don't happen because of the fear what can happen when you do hand in your notice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, we have... We have really kind of strange recruitment laws in this country. They're certainly better than places like the US, you know, where they can just kind of sack you the following day. But there is a there's a risk that, like for me, it, it takes me so long to find a job. It probably takes me a good three to six months to find a job when I'm looking because I'm always trying to find the right one. Yeah. Um, and people, I've got such a weird set of skills. It's really hard for me to just walk into a, a job. I'm not very linear. I can't just go into a dev job. You know, it has to be like an IT management role. Um, so, so for me, I don't want to rock the boat necessarily because there's always that risk that then the employer is going to give me my notice and say, oh, well, you've raised your problems, you're a troublemaker, get out, off you go. And then now I'm like, oh, I've got months, I've got months to find a job. So, you know, for me, there's always that fear. I have to go out and make sure I've secured a role first prior to handing in my notice. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of people are quite like that. Yeah, because I, I, we, well, we've, we've experienced it with, with candidates where they've handed a notice, let's say they've got a three-month notice, right? They've literally just sat on the bench for three months. And it, yeah. it's almost like, from the employer's point of view, that's a waste of their resources because they're paying this person, insert figure there for, for the three months. They're probably going to fall behind on the project because obviously they're, they're a man down or a woman down. And that's going to cost money because of the client, they're probably not going to be happy. So it's, a, it's a delivery thing like that, you know, a consultancy or transformation uh, company. 
or then obviously if it's your own in-house project like all the you're not going to progress as fast as you want so why do you think companies do that why do you think people will like companies so willing to just push people to a side when they when they've handed in their notice yeah i'm not sure because like for, for my last job um, i mean that really was a horrible toxic culture um mm-hmm. and it was a three month notice period um and I, i'll never do that again it, it was horrible because of that exact reason you just get completely yeah. siloed everybody hates you it's really tough um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, when we talk about notice periods, usually we go for notice periods so that we get our reference at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people get really kind of conned into to what a reference actually means. And, you know, if you look at it on a purely legal term, a company just has to say, yes, you worked there. Or, no, you didn't. And, and that's yeah. about it. But most companies, they've stopped giving actual proper references because, you know, you get sued for that. If somebody says, I'm really good at my job and then I go to a new one and I'm terrible, well, you can you can sue that organization. Yeah. So businesses don't give that anymore. So three month and six month notice periods are completely pointless. There's no point working them. So if I had to give any advice to anybody, I'd say yeah. hand in notice and then leave after a month, like because that's the nice thing to do. Yeah. But you don't need to stick around because there's no benefit to you, especially when you're in that that situation where yeah. you've just been benched for three months because it's awful. Just, just yeah. going into to work every single day having nothing to do i mean for me i'm, I'm so so type a constantly want to do stuff that that that's just painful i can't do that so i'll, I'll never do that again yeah yeah okay no, i mean that, that's that's really interesting now um so i mean reverting back to your particular situation when you were obviously like well the, uh, a few months ago was last summer was it yeah, yeah. so going back to last summer do you know when you were obviously looking around did you think that you move could could provide what you were looking for did, did, was that always in the back of your mind like i could find xyz job this could be perfect for me the next move but i think you move could always offer me what i wanted was that ever in the back of your mind yeah always um you know there was no bad blood i wasn't leaving and being like right well screw these guys i'm out yeah. it was it was a disappointment i think that we just couldn't get there fast enough and that's you know i phrased it in my in my post as i threw my toys out of the pram and, and, and largely that's what it was i mean i got a job i was ready to go uh, and it really was a kind of 23rd hour offer because we'd had so many uh, negotiations you know it just took it took a while to get through that but it really was like the, the thursday friday before i was due to leave um, that that, that counteroffer came in. Um, but I took it because it, it, it felt right, because I didn't hate the organization. And, and I knew what I know what we're capable of here. And that's what was part of that frustration. It's like, why, why are we plodding along? We could be so good because of what we do in this industry, because we're a disruptive business in this industry. It, it, it's just frustrating when you can't then take that further and really push it to its potential. So I knew we could definitely do it, but it needed a big kick to get it going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially in the property sector, I mean, there's We've we've done a pro, uh, a podcast with a company called Street Group. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with. Yeah, so they they were mad. Like they literally just came in into the industry and went, "Oh, this is all old hat. This is all rubbish." Because basically, the people who founded it, their parents were estate agents, so they used to be like temp work with them. Like this is literally so archaic, so backwards. Like why is it doing like this? So they they've just gone full technology first, and they've just grown exponentially. So I, I guess obviously you've got the you know, the market knowledge to see that there is this hole in, in the property market. So and I, I would be frustrated in that situation. Like I, I see these other companies around me who are doing well. We could be so much more because we've got the financial backing for a massive PLC. So I, I could understand that why that would be extremely frustrating. Um, so, I mean, this is probably might be a bit of a, a hard question, but like, do you have any regrets? Um. Yeah, I mean, the job I went for in the end, it was a charity uh, organization. 
Um, and so I really let those guys down and, and the work that they do, it really is incredible work. It's so, so important um, for the kind of, the, I guess, the, the way the country's heading at the moment, like they, they basically gave people IT skills. So people who are really struggling to use computers, um, they, they were giving them skills. And when you think a lot of government departments are slashing their costs everywhere, and they're relying on technology to do that. But the people that are most helped by those systems simply can't use computers. They just don't have the literacy to do that. Yeah. So they're, they're at serious risk of being left behind. So this charity did amazing work. And, and to me, the idea of going to that and, and really managing that team um, and, and really doing some amazing stuff in that team to help people desperately in need was fantastic. So I do, I do really regret that. There's a big part of me that I've wanted to work in charity for so long. Yeah. But the salaries have never been there, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and and so I've kind of needed to, to to balance that. So I think eventually one day I will go into charity sector, but right now this just kind of felt right, just because I'm mean, I'm right in the middle of doing this stuff, and we're so close to getting over the line um, that it was it was worth staying here. I think, but yeah, definitely a yeah. big regret is I, I let down a charity. If it had been any other organisation, I probably wouldn't have cared so much, but yeah. the charity particularly here. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I was not expecting that answer to be fair. So yeah, you <laughs> take me take me back there. Um, so, I mean, I get, final point on this then is the promises. Obviously, you, you got sold the dream to stay. Obviously, whatever financial indication that's a, a side thought is all about, you know, how you can grow, how you can progress, how you can actually make this company what it needs to be. Have they all been met? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, a slight kind of caveat. So one was um, I wanted to be group head of IT, but there are some politics there uh, around the group because of the acquisitions that we've made. You know, there's existing resources, so that's not quite over the line. So I've got I've got the, the traditional side of, of TPFG and I've got you move. There's some other brands that we need to look into that. So hopefully longer term that that will be fulfilled. Um, but that wasn't my motivator. And then, yeah, just moving on. And, and we signed off the projects that were getting stuck. Uh, we've done that with a green website. We're bringing in the new team. So, yeah, they, they've really committed to doing the stuff I asked for. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because that, that's one thing which, which we tend to, to see is, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw earlier, I did a poll um uh, yeah. about when when you've had in your notice you've obviously accepted the counter offer and then you've left what was the time frame i think last time i looked at it you sat about 57 percent within six months of yeah. accepting the counter offer and that's i mean I, i've actually gone on in, in direct message to those people and i've asked like three questions like why did you look to leave in the first place why did you accept the counter offer and then why have you left again or why have you tried to leave again and near enough i mean this is a rough start i've not got the actual numbers but probably about 60 percent of people have replied to me gone i was leaving for the money in training they've given me the money and then i've left for the training so they said that they'll give them the training but they've not provided it and you know the career development and stuff like that so do you, you think, think that- um so do you think a big part of that of why people, specifically right now in the market, why they're accepting counteroffers because of things like COVID and lockdown and furlough and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Do you think people, whilst we talk about the great resignation, do you think a lot of people are just staying out of fear? It's a massive, massive risk, I see, just going to a new organisation because you lose yeah. all the security that you've got in a role by going to a new one. Because that, that actually was a big part of it. It's like, well, I could go to this new charity, but what if it fails? You know, So, yeah. so knowing I had something good here and I wasn't mad about it here, that, that, that contributed, I think, to staying. I think there's two factors to that, to be honest. There's, there's like you said, there's the fear. Because, I mean, some of the responses which I was getting, there was, oh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I left because the company which I, I later was going to stay with, they went bust or, like, they let off the people who have just joined or all the later people have just joined. So there is always that fear, especially through the, the COVID period, because, obviously, the finances aren't, aren't there. But 
I, I think in, a, in an industry like IT, I mean, I can't speak for any other market because I mean, I'm, I'm so one track with IT at the moment. I, I think the biggest thing is that people don't get into IT for the money if you are a true techie. Because yeah. obviously people do it and they go down the whole contract route and then they just want they see the big 500, 600, 700 pound of days and that's all they're chasing. I mean, fine if that's what you want to go and do, cool. But I think techies that you have live for it, they, they just want to learn. And with how rapid that tech is developing, I mean, I, I wrote a blog a few weeks ago about it where I think in the last sort of uh, 15 years, there's been 28 new JavaScript frameworks. How is anyone going to keep up with that unless the business is providing it? You spend so many hours in work. I, I Have think- you seen that? Uh, just, uh, just on that, I don't know if you've seen the post I made today. I made it like just in the last hour. Um, but it's on learning and just how much stuff there is I actually want to learn. And it, it's like, you know, half of a year of learning and I want to do it all tomorrow. So I totally understand the frustration people have got around that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've, I've not seen your post. I will go check it out because I mean, I, as a marketer myself, like I'm in that situation. Like, I'm relatively junior, right, and on the grand scheme things, I've only been doing this sort of like sixteen months. But like, it, I, I want to do like graphic design. I want to learn how to do animations. I want to do like loads of other stuff. Like, I've got real big tools there already, but there's so there's. I just want to chase the, the the latest bits to make me better. And I think that's a natural, if you're passionate about what you do, I think that's a natural thing. And IT people, I've never seen or met people so passionate about their careers. Yeah, uh, I mean, but it's interesting on that because like the post I'm going to make tomorrow is around 100 days of code because obviously lots of people sign up to that and, and you see them all the time getting frustrated and they lose their motivation. Uh, so the post I'm doing tomorrow is, is around, um, you know, what I'm looking for as a recruiter is people people who just absolutely live and breathe technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's kind of what I'm going to, going to focus on tomorrow. Um, and, and it really is that it is so important that you get that in IT because I've been interviewing a lot of people who, like you say, have got into the industry for money lately. And it's yeah. not the right thing. Uh, you know, yeah. it's a, IT can be a really brutal industry. Like it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But it can be brutal. You've seen all the stuff just before Christmas about Log4j. And it's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so hard and horrible sometimes to, to work in that kind of environment. You've got to love it. You have to. You absolutely yeah. have to be passionate about IT to really get past those kind of issues. Um, it, it, it's just it's just way too important not to be. So, uh, so anyway, so look out for that tomorrow because I'll be posting about that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I will. I mean, for me, one one big thing which I've I've I played with with code. I've started learning basics, you know, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Those are the sort of things I've been playing with. And literally, I get to a point and I'm staring at it like, I mean, this is such a tiny problem with the grand scheme thing. I'm like, I'm staring at it for like half an hour. Like, what is the issue? Like, I just want to pull my hair out and bang my head against the wall. And like, if you're doing that day in, day out, like that, that's got to make your blood pressure go through the roof. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it'll be more complex issues as opposed to just like, I don't know, missing colon or something. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, you'd be surprised the number of the kind of PHP devs that, that I've worked with and they, they stare at code and then like they, they ask you to review it and you go and sort it out. And you, I think you just get a mind blankness towards it sometimes. And it really is the simple stuff. And it's like, well, just change it to a full loop or something and then that's it. It works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, we've gone off slightly, slightly bit of a tangent here. But yeah, yeah. going back onto the, the question you asked, I think they're the two main points is if you need to love what you do, you want to continue learning. If you're not getting that at your current place, then I understand why people learn, but they will leave, sorry, but chasing the money. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I had a response earlier when I asked the person. There's like, oh, I wanted to leave because I needed a 10 grand day rise. Why do you need 10 grand day rise? Like, yeah. what, what is it like? Fair enough. If, if you're a principal developer and you're only getting paid <laughs> 25 grand, then yeah, I, I completely understand. But like, 
no one needs <laughs> the tangram. No, no, it's funny, isn't it? Because people don't talk about salaries enough, and I think they probably should. Um, and there is a point where, like, you know, from a, a business owner perspective, you, you look at it and say, well, if I give somebody a two and a half grand pay rise, it's 200 quid extra a month. Now, for most people, that's fantastic. That's a real win. I, I argue it's not really quite the value. I'd say you probably want to do stuff in five grand increments. That really makes a difference to people. So for anybody to leave for more than five grand at a time, it just doesn't make sense. It's an ego thing. It's no one hundred percent. I mean, like you touched on, you know, the oh, give someone a two and a half grand pay rise. Like that, you you said two hundred pound a month, but really in the person's back pocket, it's what one hundred and twenty or something like that after yeah. tax. So it's not really that much of a difference. So like like you said, the the five grand, like that's probably a more healthy remit. I think exactly what you said in your post the other day. Um, you know, make sure you you, you push for the average recruiter thing. Yeah, the because the average recruit fee, I think, something like it's between fifteen and twenty percent, depending on where you go. But yeah, it's that could be anywhere between five and a half grand to eight grand, depending on what your yeah. job is and stuff like that. So and, and plus, you know, onboarding and training costs and all that kind of stuff. And and if they recruit in your three month notice period, it's dual salary they're paying. So you know, there's a lot of reason for companies to offer counter profits. Yeah. I'm always amazed at the number of companies that don't because you could save yourself a good chunk of cash not having a, not having to recruit again. So if you can make it work, you might as well. It doesn't yeah. help you guys, but like, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it's interesting. So I'll always try and find a way to get around that because uh, the hassle of recruiting, it's yeah, it's, it's a bit much. So if, if it can be fixed, it's definitely worth trying to fix it. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I'm, I, I don't want to go down the recruitment avenue, but I have to ask this. I mean, obviously in your, in your post, you mentioned obviously you've really struggled. I mean, what is it? Because for, for us, like, we've had such a weird year. We've we've had our best year ever last year, but then it's like trying to unearth these candidates. It, it's, you've got to go into the deepest, darkest resources, like what we normally wouldn't have done in the past. Like just going back through like 10-year-old CVs and stuff. I'm going to blind out so we don't give trips away. <laughs> 10-year-old CVs, you're on like job boards, Coleman, and what you're doing now, that sort of thing. Like how have you found it? Yeah, it's, it's been really tough. Um, and so we, we started doing it ourselves, uh, just doing Indeed and LinkedIn. Um, and the caliber of candidates on that were really, really poor. Uh, LinkedIn particularly were just were just really, really bad. People who just don't have any IT experience are applying for like, you know, well, I was recruited for my own role at the start, but mm-hmm. applying for a head of IT when they come from conferencing or something like that, you know, really no crossover at all. Um, so we, we we abandoned that pretty quickly. And then I, I hit on like CW jobs because it was a bit more relevant. But again, nothing, nothing really amazing from that. Um, so the issues we've had are really low caliber CVs. Um, and then when we've spoken to recruiters, like you say, they're, they're really having to dig through the archives. So there's a real lead time issue there. Yeah. So then when you get through all of that and you get the right candidates, you interview them and then you have the usual, some of them don't even turn up for interview. Um, and then the worst for us is I think we've had two have taken counter offers. Um, yeah. and, and it's really interesting because when you talk to them through the interview and you really try and understand why it is that they're trying to leave, it can then be really quite surprising when they take a counter offer yeah. because you kind of look at it and think, hang on, I'm offering you five six grand pay rise and what you're getting and and you're still going to take a counter off of this organization you hate you literally slag them off in my interview and you're going to yeah. take that counter off. it's baffling which is why i wonder if it's fear is a big part of that yeah. um so uh you know and and that can be at various points and it can, you can either be that they just turned down your offer and said no or mm. in the case of one we had three month notice period and then two months in he told us he was taking he was staying at his current role so yeah. you know so we've had that that's been tough 
We've had uh, somebody who started and left after a week, just family issues. Uh, and then we had somebody who was due to start yesterday uh, and just never turned up. So, uh, you know, we've, we've had the whole the whole gamut, if you like, of, of, of things that could go wrong with yeah. recruitment have all happened in this process. Yeah, at least it's not been down to your recruitment process. I mean, that's no, I mean, that's it. It's it's been great. I love recruiting. I love speaking to people. I love I love talking yeah. to people about IT and finding out their passion and all that kind of stuff. So I really enjoy doing recruitment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's frustrating that we haven't been able to get the team in place as quickly as I'd have liked. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand that. I mean, for us, like we've we've had the biggest challenge is, is trying to educate clients and, and companies about the new the new way you know like the new way to recruit because i'm going to say pre-covid you could drag it out you could do it over six weeks eight weeks because no not many people really or there was enough people on the market and like not enough jobs it's kind of that that way around but now there's so many jobs to the digital transformation push which everyone's gone on because of covid and there's just yeah. simply not enough unhappy candidates there's enough people yeah. out there in the market but who are willing to leave and then obviously we get down to the council offer thing is so and if you get a good candidate, you know, they're, they're in demand on the market as well. And I, you know, pre-COVID recruiters would always say, can you make a decision? This candidate's going to go somewhere else. And be like, yeah, right, whatever. But this time it's like, if you're not interviewing your candidates, first and second interview within 10 days, yeah. you're going to lose them. Like you have to do it that quick. It's insane. 100%. And then you sprinkle in a bit of a technical challenge in there as well. And like most people walk away from that. And that's one thing that we're trying to educate people on is, cool, keep your technical challenge. It's really vital. I, I understand that they need to happen. You need to get the candidate buy-in first. If you're not speaking yeah. to them, have a, even if it's a 10-minute conversation over the phone initially, just to get their buy-in and then go in, here you go, here, here's some technical challenges, do that, and then we'll, we'll book in the first stage if, you, if you're proficient enough. And but at the moment, it's his CV, yeah, we like it, here's a technical challenge. And why, why is a candidate going to want to do that? You know, all the time on LinkedIn, candidates just saying, there's no way I'm doing a technical challenge and free-stage interviews and all that. And I, I've really taken that feedback on board. So we don't do technical challenges okay. because I know that speaking to somebody in an interview, I can get a pretty good sense of what they're good at. I'd rather see a Git repo, I think, uh, come through yeah. because then I've got time at my leisure to sit and look at that repo and, and check, you know, uh, have they done that? Do they write code well? That's a big one for me. Is it understandable? Have they added comments it's amazing how many people do a git repo for show for an interview and having comments in it and it's like yeah. that's super valuable when you're working in a team and then <laughs> the one that i always like is when you go into git and you look at somebody and they've just done one commit of all their code and it's like well that doesn't show me you know how to use git right like yeah. i, I want to know that you've done branches and you've done the commits and all that kind of stuff yeah. that's what i'm looking for so for me that's way more important than just sending somebody a test that they can go use stack overflow to answer and send me 100 answers because i've had that before i had somebody yeah. come to me with C Equal. they got 98% on their test, which I thought was a bit weird, got them in, started a job, they didn't know how to do joins on their tables, and you're like, what? <laughs> like, how did I miss that? So I don't do them at all, like, they're just a waste yeah. of time. I guess they're using the Git repo side of things as well, like, if you look through how frequent they, they do commits and obviously yeah. they do repos, it pulls into what you were saying, whether they are passionate about IT, because naturally, like, if you're working on technology 40 hours a week or whatever, you you might not want to go and do it when you're in your own time. So I do understand it. But if you're super passionate about something, you're going to do the extra work. You're going to try and make yourself better. So having those continual like deposits, et cetera, you can sort of understand that side of the passion of the person for, for the industry. So, yeah, I, I, I always think that's a good avenue. We try, and, we try and tell clients that, but then people who are in the industry also come back and, and fight back against that and go, 
No, I, I don't do commits outside. I've got all the NDAs for my work and stuff like that, so I can't yeah. really make it public. So he's it, trying to find that balance of making people, not making, but giving people the option to give the Git repos, but then also making sure that they do show enough proficiency in what they do hand over. It's a real difficult juggling act. Yeah, but I think that's it. If they're not going to do a, a Git repo, then technical challenge is the answer. Uh, because it, you're, you're already picking up a, point, a problem there that, that a developer's coming in and they're so arrogant in, in their ability and their skill. Probably not the right fit for our team anyways. You know that, that And that's a real yeah. tough thing in IT recruitment is trying not to get toxic developers. Yeah, yeah 100%. I mean, I, I've only been in, in the recruitment sort of side of things for, for two years. You know, I, I'm in I'm marketing now for sort of 15 months. But I was recruited for six months beforehand. So... I have sensed that, like, especially over the sort of last 12 months, a lot of, a lot more people are getting this sort of like cocky swagger because they, they've kind of realized that they're so in demand and they're so wanted. And that might even come with the salaries which are getting thrown around. Uh, what, what do you think to that? Yeah, I think there's definitely been an inflation. Like PHP devs charging over 60K. It's like, it's just, it's just PHP, man. Like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not rocket science. But I think, you know, everybody, um, like you look at YouTube and the dev community on YouTube, and everybody thinks they're good enough to work in Fang companies. And yeah. by not working in Fang and coming to work for mere mortals like us, they're just like, well, you guys are scum. You should totally employ me. And it's like, well, no, I still want you to do some good work while you're here. <laughs> they're, they're Fang for a reason, aren't they? That's why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're the primo company. So, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't really have many more questions to ask. I mean, you seem very knowledgeable in recruitment. So, I mean, that's a whole other different conversation, which I'd love to pick your brain about, but we won't do that now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, thank you for sparing your time. Uh, thank you for letting me record this. I will send you the, the I don't know what it'll be, like, some form of folder so you can, you can view this yeah. back. Um, but yeah, great to stay in touch. And if you could spare another half hour over the next week or so to pick your brain about your recruitment process, not to work together or anything like that, I don't want to impose or anything, but um, just pick your brain about recruitment. It's always good to to understand what's going on inside the industry. It'd be great to have another chat. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Well, I'll uh, I'll end the chat now. Uh, I'll drop you a message and we'll try and get that booked in over the next week or so whenever you're free. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Right. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, take care. Bye bye.